0: Tonight, Let's get back into the Word and I want to go right back to where we began in January. Um, Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Let me make sure I'm not leaving anything out tonight. Praise the Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Luke chapter 12. I know we've got some in here that have been with us. Uh... Since January, this is our first streaming time, so we've got a lot uh, online that haven't. So let me do what we can to recap quickly. Luke chapter 12, we have been getting to know this guy. He's a, he's a nameless guy in the scriptures. Um, I've tried to come up with a name for him, I don't really have a good one. All I know him as is the interrupter. <laughs> the interrupter. And by this time, in my mind, this guy is famous for his interruption. Now it would be one thing to have, have your life recorded in some small way in the scripture for all men for all time, unless it's this, (laughs) unless it's recorded this way, because Jesus in Luke chapter 12 was preaching and uh, saying some pretty heavy things, if you will, some pretty weighty things, things actually that are fundamental to our walk with him and knowing him. And actually, now that I think about it, they are things that if you're born again and I'm born again, no matter what, quote unquote, camp you're in or denomination you're a part of, you and I would agree on everything Jesus said here. So that's some loaded stuff that if I could boldly say every member of the body of Christ would agree on something. I mean, he's talking about things in here about every, every, the, the very, the hairs of your head being numbered, every single one of them being numbered and you finding your value in the eyes of God. He talks in here in this message, in these first few verses in Luke chapter 12, he talks about how if you will confess Jesus before God and all the angels, then he will confess you Excuse me, if you'll confess him before men, Jesus will confess you before God and all the angels. Everybody in the body of Christ, past, present, and future, would agree this is how you're born again. You you believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth, Jesus, I claim you as my Lord. And in return, in response, in exchange, Jesus says, good, I claim you as my brother. I claim you as my sister. And the Father says, I claim you as my child. This is heavy stuff, man. I mean, this is life-changing, eternity-changing stuff. And in the middle of it, our dear brother speaks out from the crowd, a crowd that was so thick that the scripture says they thronged each other to try to get to Jesus. In my mind, it's talking about this guy because he has done what it has taken to get close enough to Jesus and waited long enough, jesus for just long enough for Jesus to take a breath in the middle of his message because he's got a question and not even a question, it's a command. Listen to this from verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, not asked him, not requested, said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus is preaching along with some eternity changing things. And this guy could not wait another moment to interrupt with his money problems. Now, money problems are real. People deal with money problems. People deal with money pressure. But what we've been asking each other and what we've been asking the word is do our money issues deserve more weight than what Jesus is speaking to us right right here and now? In other words, if it's on your mind to the point where you're talking to him about it and you're thinking about it and you're talking to other people about it and everyone around you knows what kind of money problems you got, everybody in your family knows what kind of money problems you got, husbands and wives talking to each other, that's like the topic of the conversation all the time, and it's on your mind and it's coming out of your mouth and it's on your mind and it's coming out of your mouth. Without realizing it, you and I have given weight to something That doesn't deserve that much weight. This is why we've looked back at all these scriptures, specifically in the book of Proverbs, where the Lord spoke to his people and he said, Do not use an unjust scale. He said, dishonest scales are an abomination to me. What's a dishonest scale? We've talked about it. When you, if you lived in that day and time and you went to market and you were going to buy something, of course, you didn't walk up to a cash register, you didn't give cash, you didn't swipe a card. No, what'd you do? You pulled out of your money bag a shekel, which is literally a measurement of weight. and then that merchant would pull out of his bag of weights, as it was referred to. Whatever the thing you were buying cost this much weight. See that's how they assigned value to it. In our, in our terminology, it would be a pound or or, you know, five ounces or, or whatever, but he would put that weight on his side of the scale. And then you start putting your money on your side of the scale and you load up your side until they even out. And that's how, you know, you've paid what he's asking. And God said, do not use dishonest scales, dishonest weights. A dishonest weight would be a merchant saying that his weight was a certain amount, but really he had added to it to get you to pay a little more. It's a dishonest scale. And God was so serious about it that he said, this is an abomination to me. Well, I know we don't pay that way now for the most part, but when you give weight to something, when you give more weight to something than God gives to it, that's a dishonest scale which is why we've been looking in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and you don't have to turn there now, but he talked about how, how you and I don't lose heart. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4. We don't lose heart even though the outward man, somebody say outward. outward. What's outward? It means you can see it. The outward man is perishing day by day. Even though he's perishing, the inward man, say inward. inward. What's that? That's a part you can't see. He's being renewed day by day. And he went on to talk about this momentary light affliction. We don't look at things that are seen. That's outward. We're not looking at that because the things that are seen are temporary. We look at things that are unseen because the things that are unseen are eternal. And this momentary, what's momentary mean? Quick, short starts, done, over. This momentary light affliction. Did you catch that? Light. It's light. What is this? It's light. You just pick it up and throw it, toss it. It doesn't have any weight. He said, it doesn't compare to the exceeding weight of glory. So when you and I start putting things, you've got a scale out here in front of you that measures life and you start putting things all the stuff you can see on one side of the scale, and these are all your problems, and we're dealing specifically with finances, specifically with money. you start putting all that on one side of the scale, and it's the pressure that goes with it and the, the problems that you have, and you load that up, and God says, okay, good, you done? You say, yeah, for now. And he reaches in to his bag, because the scripture says all the weights of the bag are his. And he pulls out this exceeding, an eternal weight of glory. Just tips the scale. But if in your eyes and in your mind, your problem, your pressure, your money issue, your money thought, your money concern, your seeking of money outweighs this glory that's in you. It's a dishonest scale. It's an unjust scale. This is why Jesus said to this man, and this is where we've been camping out. In verse 14, after the guy interrupted, he said, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? I guarantee you this is not what this guy came to hear. It is not what he expected Jesus to say. And he said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness. What's covetousness? Just wanting something too much. Because when you want it too much, you'll do what you shouldn't do to get it. You'll say what you shouldn't say to get it. That's what happens when you want it too much. When you want it too much, it takes up thought life that it shouldn't be taken up. It takes up real estate in your heart that doesn't belong to that. He said, You gotta beware of covetousness. Why? Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. One's life, your life, does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, your life is not measured by how much you own. Why don't you try that? Say, life is not measured by how much I own. Say it. Life life is is not measured by by how much I own. Why don't you make it personal? My life. Ready? My life is not measured by how much I own. You cannot measure life by the abundance of the things you own. You cannot measure life. It's not an accurate measurement of life. When you look at the bank and you say, there's a good stack of cash right now. It's not a measurement of your life. And you can't allow it to be. What is that? That's giving weight, giving, giving an improper and an unjust measurement to something that doesn't deserve it. Oh, this is changing me, guys. This is Something's been going on in me ever since I've been looking at this. Realizing in ways where I've tried to measure my life, tried to measure who I am and and what I've become by looking at a material possession, and we can't do it. Now, why are we going over this? Let me tell you, there's one reason why we're talking about these things. It's because your generation and mine, listen to me, we must prosper. We must. We must. For the sake of the kingdom of God, you must prosper. For the sake of the world around you, you must prosper. For the sake of the community you live in, you must prosper. For the sake of the lives of your friends and your family, you must. I must. We, We have to have the kind of impact that can only come as a result of living in the blessing of God and being able to affect the world around us, we must prosper. Yeah. Yes. But the beginning of this has got to start right here with a revelation that there are weightier matters than money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Come That's good. When you know that, you believe that, and you live like that, you have just set yourself up for huge financial breakthrough in your life. (laughs) When you just know that there are things that outweigh money. Amen? Amen. My life's not measured by what I own. This is freedom for you right here. My life's not measured by what you own. Your life's not measured by what I own. And your life's not measured by what you don't own. It can't measure you. Your life's not measured by what I don't own. What I do or don't own doesn't measure you. So Jesus went on and we won't take too much time because I want to move on to some stuff tonight, but he, he told this parable and he ended it in verse 21. He says, so is he a fool who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The new living says you're a fool. If you hoard up stuff for yourself and you don't have a rich relationship with God. So we've established that, okay, we can't measure ourselves by by what we own. Life is not measured by what we own. Got it, okay? We're going to let that work in us. We're going to believe that. We're going to let the Spirit of God change the way we think about stuff. Can I tell you the, the thing about things? They're just things. That's the thing with things is they're just things. The only thing about things is that they're just things, and they can't measure you. You can't measure life in dollar amounts. You can't measure life in square footage. You can't measure life in total acreage. (laughs) You just can't. It can't be the measure of life. These things are good. These things are important, but they don't come first, which is why we spent so long talking about what Jesus said does come first. You know, I, I think Jesus could have responded any way he wanted to to that guy. He could have just said, ushers, can you help me? He could have just had him escorted out. He could have have just said, brother, you and I will talk after service. He could have just answered him in one or two words. But Jesus took something like 20 verses to respond to this guy. And every single one of them were correction to this way of thinking. But the good news is whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He corrects him. So you look at this and we really can't be down on this guy. Look how much Jesus loves him. Look how much he's loved by God. And the truth is, he ain't just correcting him, is he? Come on, honesty in here tonight. Who's he correcting? Me. Why? He loves me. He loves me so much that he'd correct me. And he ended this whole correction by saying this. Seek first the kingdom of God. That verse that we all know and love. I just don't know if we realize that it was a correction to a covetous way of thinking. So if We're not going to seek the stuff. We're not going to seek getting our own needs met. He talked about, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Was it, was it last month we talked about how life is more than food? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Life is more than food. And you and I who eat at least three meal, meals a day, most of us, we don't tr- tr- usually try to measure life by food, but this was written in a time where life was measured by food. And if you were rich, you were big. Why? Because you wanted people to see this is how much money I had. Look how much food I could buy. And that was measure of life. It's funny though, isn't it? How we still, there's still connection to that in our society. What what do we call the person in the household who makes the most money? That person is the breadwinner, right? That person is bringing home the Hey, I'm working Why? I got to put food on the table. See, there's still this connection, even in our society right now, money's food and food is money. And there's people that, that obsess over it today, the way they did then and seek it today, the way they did then. But this is why we spent so long talking about not seeking that, but seeking him. When you seek him, how many scriptures did we look at? And he made them to prosper. They sought the Lord He made them prosper. They sought Him with their whole heart. He made them prosper. We saw it over and over and over. David, uh, Sarah read it tonight. Psalm 63. God, you are my God. I'm going to seek you later on today. Is that what he said? No, early. That's pre. That's pre-day. That's pre-confrontation. That's pre-trouble. That's pre-problem. Early, I seek you. But then he said, I'm seeking you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. In this dry and thirsty land where there's nothing to drink, my soul thirsts for you. He wrote that psalm in a desert on the run for his life. And there's nothing to eat around him. There's nothing to drink. And even in the middle of that, he's not given voice to the demand of this flesh. He's given voice to the, man, to the demand of his spirit crying out, I'm seeking you. Yeah. Yes, so David, a professional seeker. David's like Olympic level God seeker, (laughs) a man known the world over for his relationship, the richness of his relationship with God. So if we can't measure our life by the abundance of stuff, we need to start finding out how we can measure it. You've got to be able to measure your life. You've got to be able to look at your life and say, how much, how much life am I living? I'm not just talking about checking for a pulse. I'm talking about living life. Yeah. How much life am I living? Well, nice house, a couple of sweet cars, got, got a nice little nest egg in the bank. You're not measuring life. You, you, you're, you're using units of measure that don't apply. Yeah. See where we got to start changing this way we think? Right. Yeah. In order that He might bless us, this is why we got to change this way of thinking our generation needs us to prosper. Have you thought about it in those terms? How your generation that you're a part of right now needs you to be blessed? That hits me hard. So how do we measure it? Well, he said it needs to be measured in a rich relationship with God. What is that? Last month, we talked about not seeking the stuff, but seeking words That's why Jesus said, man doesn't live by what? He doesn't live by what? Bread. And bread is money and money is bread. You're not living by that alone, but by every word. In a relationship where words can flow back and forth and they're heard and they're understood, husbands, wives, how many confrontations and arguments have we had because something was said and it was not heard right. Or, or something was said and something else entirely was heard. And every marriage conference we ever go to, what do they hammer home? Communication, communication, communication. Why? Because words are precious. Words are valuable. Words. Somebody say words. I want you to hear that tonight. Your words. And that's what we're seeking from him. Lord, your words are precious to me. Your word itself is precious to me because Jesus is the word made flesh and he is the most important thing to me. So your word is the most important thing to me. What you speak to me in my born again, recreated spirit is so important to me, valuing words. But tonight I want to, I want to put, I want to put some gauges on the wall. We know what doesn't measure life. Now let's find out what does. Okay. Let's just say, for example, this is a hypothetical I've been thinking about. Let's say you and I, uh, just one of you, pick, I don't care. Uh, we're going to go on a road trip. Matter of fact, my, my brother-in-law Jordan and I, we there's probably not probably not a month, probably not a week that goes by that he and I don't talk about doing a guy's trip, loading up the truck and going to Colorado, man. We long for that mountain air. I mean, we just I'm breathing it by faith right now. It just fills you up, and we just uh, snow, sun, whatever. We just want to go, right? right? Is Jordan in here? Amen, Michael. I know you're on that trip too, right, buddy? Okay. So let's say the three of us, we're gonna get in the truck, right? Where's Jordan? I know he's there. He is right there. Okay. So Jordan, we're gonna get in the truck. Um, real quick, guys. Whose whose truck is this? Mine? (laughs) Have you seen my truck? I took all the seats out. Let's say, for example, hold on, let's say, Jordan, help me out, bud. Name the ultimate truck. The ultimate guys go to Colorado for snowboarding trip truck. Name it. First one. There it is right there. (laughs) Correct answer. Ford Raptor. So, so here's what's happened. Jordan has just purchased a brand new Ford Raptor. Now, if you don't know what that is, beautiful truck, great truck. And if you, you can load it out and you could, I mean, you could easily spend 65, $75,000 on one of these trucks. And he pulls up, right? And Michael and I are standing there waiting and we see this new truck and we look at him and say, like, man, Jordan's doing well, which is funny because he works for me. So I'm kind of wondering, <laughs> but, but stop right there. Have I assumed correctly Thank you, Nate. You're allowed to take your answer back. Have I assumed correctly that Jordan's doing well, but based on the possession, no. I mean, what if, what if he and Courtney, and I, I can say this because I know them, what if they have had a discussion and they've made a commitment to each other. Okay, we are living the debt-free life and we are going to be free to serve God and free to give to people. And then they've made this decision. And then, but Jordan has this great idea that he's like, man, I saw that truck. I'm going to go get it. (laughs) And he comes home and Courtney's like, what? I thought we, no, What? So now trust is broken and I'm using this because I know these guys and the way they actually live. This is strictly hypothetical, but am I right? Help me out. Trust is broken. Does trust between a husband and a wife, does it weigh more or less than a new truck? But somebody who spends what they don't have at the cost of broken trust and the lack of peace and now strife and probably a pretty serious argument coming as soon as we get home from the trip. <laughs> that's, that's an unjust scale. But we don't know all that. And Jordan pulls up and we're like, okay, sweet, man, let's do it. Let's go. And so um, we're, we're riding along. We've been in the truck. We've been in there, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, something like that. He's driving. I look, I look from the back seat and I see this check, check oil light has come on. I'm like, Hey man, did you, you see that light? You got a light up there on your dash. The little gauge is telling you, you got to check your oil. He's looking at me, He goes, no, wait, listen, listen, dude, we're fine. Do you know how much I spent on this truck? Do you know how nice this truck is? We're fine. Okay. All right. So we're driving along and, um, I don't know. We're somewhere between here and New Mexico on our way. And, do you go through New Mexico? Anyway, whatever's between here and Colorado. And um, we're going the long way. That's okay. Um, And all of a sudden, we hit something in the road. None of us saw it, but whatever it was, was huge. And it just like came up under the car and the loudest noise you've ever heard it sounds like a gunshot went off in the car. And I look up and now there's like two or three different lights blinking on that gauge. And this check engine light comes on. And all of a sudden the, that little flat tire light comes on with a little exclamation point that comes on. And then, then a gauge that never comes on and nobody knows what it means. It's on. I'm like, dude, look, look at the dash. Look at, every, look at all those lights. We need to stop. We need to pull over. And he's like, hmm, that's interesting. Interesting. Michael, what should we do? And Michael says, y'all, hold on a second. Michael pulls out his phone and he opens up his mobile banking app. And he checks his balance. And man, his balance is, man, Michael's got $150,000 in his bank account. And Michael said, amen. "Amen." There we go. (laughs) And he checks it. No, guys, listen, we're good. I got lots of money in the bank we're fine. We can keep going. It's my story. So I'm the only sane one in the car (laughs) and not even an hour goes by. And all of a sudden the gas light comes on. The gas light comes on. I'm like, surely we got to stop now, man. I mean, we're running on empty. We're running on fumes. And Jordan says, Jeremy, would you relax? Do you know how much I paid for these jeans? (laughs) Jeez, we're fine. What's the problem here? The three of us, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it to Colorado? Will we snowboard a day? No, we will not. We are destined for the ditch. We are destined for the side of the road at best. Why? Because the other two guys in the car... (laughs) keep looking at all the wrong gauges. See, every gauge in that car is there to tell you the condition that the car's in. It's there to communicate to you the life of the car, if you will. How do you measure the life of the car? Guys, we still friends? Everybody good? How do you measure the life of the car? You look at these gauges that the manufacturer put in there, and it's not a guessing game. How do we know if we have enough gas? It's right there. Look at it, read it, but let me ask you, can you check, does it, does it matter how much money you have in the bank if you got no gas? No, wrong gauge, doesn't matter. What kind of car it is? Does it matter the emblem that's on the hood? Does it matter at all how much you paid for it? If something's blinking on that, on that dashboard and telling you stop now, does it matter? any of that other stuff matter? No, what matters is what the gauge is telling you because that's measuring life. Yes. Now here's what's gotta happen in you and in me. We have got to set up some gauges in our lives that tell us how much we're living life. And it's not money, it's not stuff. If we got relationship issues, like this guy did, tell my brother, what do you know? Division in a family. He's allowed this money problem to become more weighty than his relationship was with his brother. And now they're not even talking. I can't even talk to you. I'm gonna go get Jesus and he's gonna tell us I'm right. Division. And there's no amount of money. I said there's no amount of money that could outweigh peace and love. So what we're doing in this, like I mentioned before, our generation requires us to prosper. But what's happening right now is some conditioning. I I thought about it like this, this week, back in high school, I think about high school a lot now because I've been taking justice to preschool at the same school I went to my entire uh, schooling life at. So if I'm going there like three days a week and it's a little crazy, but high school, I played soccer and soccer was always the first sport of the season uh, at the beginning of the school year. So we'd show up and uh, still kind of like brains and bodies halfway in summer and we show up, you know, and we're ready. Just empty out a bag of soccer balls. Let's kick around a little bit. Let's have some fun. But no, I remember this. It seems like it was at least that first few days, if not that first week before coach would even get out of soccer ball. And what would we do day after day after day? It's called conditioning. There's a shorter word for it. Running. Yeah. And, we ran, and we ran and we ran and we ran and we ran and we ran. We were conditioning ourselves. This man was not about to turn over to us his his playbook and the plan for this team until we were in condition to get it. Do you want to know what the holdup is on the prosperity in the body of Christ? We're not in condition. We're not yet in condition. And some of the stuff we're dealing with have been and are tonight. It's getting us in condition. I'm thankful we don't have to run to get in. <laughs> condition, but that's what he's doing for us. He's getting us in condition. Okay. First Corinthians, the 13th chapter, go there with me. Are you familiar with anything at all in the book of first Corinthians in the 13th chapter? (laughs) Have you ever heard any good news from first Corinthians 13? Of course you have. When anybody goes to 1 Corinthians 13, and they start talking about love. Typically what we do is we start there in verse 4. And the, the famous part, and the, the, the world-renowned part of 1 Corinthians 13 that believers and unbelievers know, the, the, the token scripture at a wedding. A wedding that as soon as it's over, this reception is about to be hedonism for... <laughs> And it's going nuts, but we read our scripture and every time it's first Corinthians 13. And typically people will start in verse four. This is what you've, you've heard it before. Love is patient, right? Love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But not long ago, the Lord dealt with me as I was going to bed one night. I just got out the word to read and he said, read 1 Corinthians 13 and keep reading it till I tell you to stop. So I just kept reading it. I'm reading a short chapter and I read it. I think I probably read it six, seven times. And for the first time ever in my life, it wasn't verses four through eight that hit me. It was one through three. Let's look at that together. Listen to this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Sounding brass, if you look this up, it just means, I think even other translations bear it out, like a, um, like a almost like a metal drum that's just being beaten. And it just emits one annoying tone. Boom, 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 boom. Now I am a noises guy in that I hate noises. If there's something going on in the car, like a rattle or a something in the back, I'm driving and trying to press and find to get the noise. I cannot, I can't take the noise. And he, what he's referring to here is something that everybody in this city was familiar with. In these pagan temples, when it came time to worship their gods, they would get drug and alcohol induced. I mean, if you're going to worship something fake, you're going to have to have some help <laughs> you know, to, to get you there. And they, would, they were these, honestly, you know what they were? It was a rave. It was a drug induced frenzy that was egged on by this beating and this droning, bang, 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 over and over and over to try to work something up. And people in that temple and around that, so you could hear this thing over and over and over and driving people mad until they just pass out. And he said, listen to this, I could speak with the tongues of men and angels. What's that? That's that's the ability. That's the ability to speak every known language and the ones that aren't known. I I think about it like this. The ability to speak with the tongues of men and angels is the ability to have the right word every time. You ever met somebody that just knows what to say? Yeah. And maybe it takes another language to say it. Oh, no, as the French say, Je le fais <laughs> bonsoir, je le fais They have a saying in Russian, "Levrambrus." you know, whatever. They, know, they just always know what to say. But Paul said, I could have that ability. What are you talking about here? Words. How precious and how valuable words are. But if there's no love in what I say, man, yeah, it could have been technically right. It might have impressed you. It might have been even theologically sound, but if there's no love in it, bong! That's the impact it has. This goes on. Woo! Okay. (laughs) Notice what he says. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. You ready? I am what? Nothing. Nothing. I am nothing. Nothing. Do you know that nothing is a measurement? Now you start to see why this was hitting me in ways it hadn't before. It's it's a measurement. if, If there's nothing in here, how much is in here? Nothing. It's a measurement. And guys, there is a startling reality to this particularly those of you, those of us, those of us in full-time ministry, which so many of you are in here, those of you who are maybe not in ministry, but in the kingdom, people watching in ministry, people watching born again with an assignment to impact the world around us with an assignment to make a difference in the lives of people around us, with an assignment to affect communities, to affect cities, to affect states, to change nations, with that call of God on our lives. And the startling reality is we're at risk of being nothing. What's the point? The point is nothing. Here are my hands. You see the nothing that I'm holding? If I put this on one side of the scale, what happens to the scale? Nothing. Doesn't move. There's no weight. There's no weight. So our lives without love, how much impact are we having? None. We're nothing. When you add, let's see how sharp your math skills are. When you add Nothing to two. What happens to two? Nothing. No impact is made whatsoever. Nothing is changed. Everything is the same. Listen to what else he says. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me how much? Here's, here's the risk we run when, if the truck is life and things aren't going well, if we're constantly trying to measure our life by what we own, what we don't, what somebody else does, what somebody else doesn't, what's happening? We're looking at the wrong gauge. We're measuring it, measuring it with the wrong unit of measure. Life can't be measured in that stuff, but it can be measured in love. Life can be measured in love. Now, so much of the time when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we think about our love for each other, my love for you, your love for me. And if we're reading it... (laughs) trying to get ourselves somewhere. We're going into where I'm headed tomorrow. I got this meeting with this guy and okay, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to walk it because love is patient. I can be patient. I can be kind. I can be kind. I can be kind. The problem is you are looking to yourself as your own source for love. But Paul said, it wasn't so much if I don't give love, although that's a part of it. He said, if I don't have it, if I don't possess it, I'm nothing. So I can't give what I don't have. I mean, have you ever had the desire? Maybe you do sitting right there where you are tonight. If the person next to you had a a financial need of a thousand dollars and you thought, I want more than anything to fix this for them. I just, the love of God has come up in me and compassion to to make it right. Well, why don't you do it? Why don't you give it to them? Well, I have it. Can't give what you don't have. And if I don't have love, then how much am I? Come on, how much am I? If I don't have love, I am nothing. What if, though, what if I don't have love, but I got like $3 million in the bank? Then I'm something, right? Well, what, how much money would I have to have to be something without love? Is there an amount? Doesn't exist. Because without love, I'm nothing. And trying to measure my life with anything else, is like putting nothing on a side of a scale and expecting it to move. Yeah, but I'm loaded. I'm rich. I drive this car. I live in this house. You know what you're doing? You're putting air, putting nothing on one side of the scale, and it's not moving at all. So there's two sides to this love. It's not just this self-imposed, and it's not at all self-imposed my love to you. It can't begin there. Having love is having a revelation of how much you are loved. So now we've gone all the way back to measuring your life by the richness of your relationship with God, because a rich relationship with God is one where words are going back and forth. And the first thing he says, and the middle thing he says, and the last thing he says, and it's every word in between. I love you. I love you. I love you. I've given for you and I will continue to give for you. I love you. I love you. I correct you because I love you. You can get excited about correction because he loves me. And what's happening? I'm getting filled up. I'm getting filled up. I'm not nothing. I'm filling up and there's coming a point when I get so full that I'm going to overflow on you. Yeah. Okay. And what happens is you take somebody that's got a lot of resource, that has a lot of abundance, and you add love to it, now you've got impact. But when you add nothing to something, nothing changes. What if though, what if um, I've, I've written books on proper pra- parenting and quoted scripture and and cited other professors and people who have their doctorates. and And I've written multiple volumes on how to raise children and parent children. And I'm considered by thousands, even millions, an expert at parenting. What kind of parent am I though, if I don't have love? How much of a parent am I? But I wrote all this stuff. Let's say, Paul referenced ministry here. I have the gift of prophecy. I've got faith that can move mountains. How, how much of a preacher am I? At ma- I got the book of Ephesians memorized. I, I can quote scripture to you like this. I, 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 got, I got faith. I know the principles and the procedures of faith and I can tell you how to walk it out. I can tell you what to say and how to say it and at what point in the service to lift your hands, at what point to shout amen, at what point to sit quietly. I've been in this thing and around this thing. How much of a preacher am I If I got all that with no love, I am nothing of a preacher. How much of a leader am I? If I could quote all 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, but I can't lead in my home with love. And I can't lead in this office with love. And I can't love the people that God's brought to me. And I can't overflow with a revelation of how much he loves me into their lives. What kind of leader am I? How much of a leader am I? I'm nothing of a leader. And here's where it gets really dangerous. This, this gets happy in a minute, I promise. But where it gets really dangerous, it, it's one thing to have no impact. When you add zero, it has no impact. What happens though, when you multiply by zero? It brings what was there already down to nothing. And that's, that's the position we're in. I know I'm in it as a husband, as a father. I'm, I'm alongside my wife raising two of the most beautiful kids you've ever seen in your life. But if I try to do it without love, I am multiplying myself in justice. I am multiplying myself in Jesse, and I am at risk. I'm at risk of bringing something beautiful and precious and bigger than life down to zero. When you multiply by lovelessness, I'm not going to let it happen. Let's not let it happen. Love is the only thing that can make us something. So that's the gauge, guys. That's the one that's got to be on the wall. When we're measuring life, look at that love gauge. How deep is the revelation? How full is my revelation of how much He loves me? And when you got condemnation in you over mistakes, over things you've said and done, watch out, that love gauge is, you're letting it get low. When when you're fearful, afraid about the future, afraid about where you're headed, afraid about your job, afraid about your church, that that love tank's starting to dip. But when you fill that back up and you get back into this word and you find every word you can on how much he loves you, what will it do? It will flush out, drive out fear. Do you remember, I think it's been a couple of months ago, but I said where we were headed in this thing, our goal in this and whatever this is, I still don't even know. But whatever it is, our goal is to come to the place where what we're saying in here, what we're preaching, what we're singing, what we're saying to each other quits just being words and becomes the atmosphere in the room. Remember that? It's tonight. It's tonight. It's this day forward. Love will be the air we breathe. Breathe it in and breathe it out. Right? You breathe it in from Him and we breathe it out on each other. Fill up, overflow. Fill up, overflow. If I don't have love, how much am I? Nothing. Nothing. But if I add love to my faith, now it works. If I add love, to my prosperity, now I'm changing lives around me. If I add love to my parenting, I'm not multiplying by zero. I'm multiplying by who knows how much to raise this little boy and this little girl in a home where they were loved and encouraged and strengthened. Now they're multiplying and the two become four, not four kids, but you understand know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's a different kind of multiplication. But without it, we're nothing. Love is the only thing that makes us something. Is this making sense? Love's the only thing that can tip a scale. Love's the only thing that can make that scale move. Man, I just see it so clearly. I, I just see that picture. And I don't know if this has begun to work in you yet. Those of you who've been here the last several months and listened to this, I hope that it has, but Sarah and I right now, there are things that have hung around in our lives and been challenging for years. And just in these last few months, we have looked at each other and said, we have been given way too much weight to this. It's an unjust scale. It doesn't even begin to compare to how much we're loved. It doesn't begin to compare to this exceeding and eternal weight of glory that's in us. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to miss something here, guys. Let me take a look. I want you in these last couple of minutes to go to the book of Mark, chapter 10. We're gonna wrap it up with this. Sarah and I have been asking each other a question lately, and we've been sitting down with our staff and asking it of them. It's a simple question and It should have a simple answer. Uh, Excuse me, I think I just looked at Sarah, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. I said, what are you passionate about? Because life can just get so full of stuff you're not passionate about. Stuff that's just stuff. And I said, what are you passionate about? And whatever it is, we're going to do everything we can so that the answer to that question gets the majority of your time. I'm going to answer it and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure the answer to that question gets the majority of my time. I want to spend my life doing what I'm passionate about. And we've been asking each other this. What are you passionate about? What drives you? What what is on your mind when you wake up? It's on your mind when you go to sleep. What are you passionate about? And I think if I were to just put it in a word, I am passionate about impact. I'm passionate about the Word of God making a difference in somebody's life. I'm passionate about seeing the light go on, the Holy Ghost flipping that switch in somebody's heart and somebody's mind and life is different from that day forward. I'm passionate about that and I'm going to spend my life in pursuit of that. This is why it's so startling to me to think that I could have a billion ducks in a row and still be nothing. But it's encouraging to me to think the only thing that I have to have to make me something is a revelation of how much I'm loved. Let me show you this. Mark chapter 10. We'll begin to wrap it up. Look at verse 17. It says, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but the one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, verse 21, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Is this not a textbook case study exclamation point of everything we've been talking about? of allowing money, something as natural and carnal as money to outweigh something that Jesus wants to do in your life. But let's, let's kind of unpack this just for a minute. We'll be done in just a moment. This whole thing starts, it's another interruption, kind of a different spirit behind it though. This guy comes running up to Jesus, stops him on the road, falls on his knees. So, you know, he's, this guy's serious about something and says, good teacher, what other uh, accounts bring this out? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And I think that kind of trips a lot of people up. It's like, Jesus, are you, you're good. You're pretty good, right? That's not what he was after. I believe Jesus was, was literally asking him why Tell me your concept of what's good. Because you came to me saying, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? Now let's stop and look at that for just a second. Eternal life. Eternal. What is eternal? What is that? Somebody help me out. It is a measurement. Yeah, very good, boys and girls. It is a measurement. It's a measurement of time. And if time were weight, it is the weightiest measurement. You don't get any longer than eternal. But when Jesus talks about eternal, he's not just referring to length of time. He's referring to quality of time. Because you're going to live forever in one place or another. <laughs> and eternal life with Jesus is much different than eternal life somewhere else. And so he's asking him, what's your concept of good here? Because you've asked me what good thing you can do, but at the same time, you called me good as to, as to even out a scale of, well, here's Jesus' goodness and here's the goodness of my performance. So Jesus said to him, you know the commandments, listed off several commandments to him, and then I love this guy's answer. He says, teacher, all these things I've done from my youth, Really? Really? All these things you've done. Okay. Let's say you have. Let's say you've been perfect from the time you were young. I'll give you that. So, so maybe you're a candidate for Savior, but I'm guessing not. All these things I have kept from my youth. Why would Jesus... In response to somebody trying to learn about eternal life, why would he list commandments? I think this trips people, but you got to understand part of the assignment on Jesus' life and ministry was to bring you and to bring me to the end of ourselves, to the end of our ability. And that's what that commandment did. So the whole thing, regardless of this guy's response, this whole thing was always going to end with Jesus saying, follow me. Because the appropriate response to all the commandments really is this. I can't do that. I tried and I can't. The thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I do it. How many Jesus? I can't do it. That was the right response. But this guy said, all these things I've kept from my youth. And it's almost as though it stopped Jesus in his tracks. And he looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. I wonder what that looked like right here. To see the love of God and Jesus come up. He looked at him and he loved him. You could see it in his eyes, how he felt about this man in this moment. And he said to him, okay, one thing. Here's what I want you to do. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, folks, selling what you have and giving to the poor is great, but it can't get you eternal life any more than the other commandments. So what's the deal? The deal is Jesus is going to talk to him about the one thing as he follows. But we got, we, We've got to we gotta get in condition. We've got to get in the right condition. But this man, the best I can tell, And I'm I'm not a scholar. There's tons of scriptures I don't know. But the best I can tell, he is the only man to ever turn down a personal invitation from Jesus to come follow him. There were there was lots of people that that weren't on board. There were lots of people that didn't like what he was doing. But when Jesus came to a man and said, follow me. Every time they did, they dropped what they were doing. Because they let love draw them every time except one, except one. And at love's invitation, this guy let money get in the way. Tell me what's weightier. A personal eye to eye invitation from Jesus to say, come on, I'm going to talk to you about this. Come on. Follow me. Come on. Here's what you do. Get free because we got places to go. Go get free. Go get free of everything and then come follow me. We got stuff to do. We got places to go. You get free and come follow me. And he went away full of sorrow. Why? Because of an unjust scale. An unjust scale where money weighed more than love. Made him nothing. Had an opportunity to impact who knows how many people with his giving. Has the Lord ever let somebody out give him? No. Oh. Jesus has every intention of filling this guy back up. You know that. I know that. You're witness to that. You're an example of that. I am too. But he was in no condition. He was in no condition. The love, you've heard it called the love tank, The love gauge was on empty. Couldn't receive love, couldn't give it. Didn't have it, couldn't give it. Not me, man. Come on, anybody else? Not me for a minute. You know what puts me and you in position position and in condition for the greatest financial breakthrough, not just that we've seen, but that this world has seen, is that when you and I say, Jesus, this is yours, and if you want it all, it's all yours. Can I give it? Can I give it all right now? I'm ready to empty out. I'm ready to take it. I'm ready to take money down to zero and love to overflow it with no fear. with no apprehension. That's somebody the same condition. Why? Because stuff doesn't measure me anyway. Love measures me. His love to me, his love overflowing out of me. Thank you, Lord. Is that going to be us? Love is the only thing that can make you anything. Amen.